Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Photos have been circulated of a UFO rising from the fiery epicenter of the worst forest fire in Maine history. A source from the shop disputes this claim, stating there was never a UFO. It appears Haven's citizens had banded together to make a massive weather balloon as a political protest. The American government was called in to de-escalate these protests. There were no survivors. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. What up, constant readers? And today we are reading book three of the Tommyknockers, if you're following along. And if not, major spoilers ahead. And Josh is leading our discussion. I sure am. And I have the distinct pleasure of kicking off book three with what I assume is all of our favorite character. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we we kick things off we don't pick back up with uh with our protagonists or sorry our antagonists <laughs> and instead we get to meet sissy finally then i'm just gonna ask you straight out of the gate what do you think about sissy this chapter <laughs> is such much like most of book three is such a waste of everyone's <laughs> fucking time. Okay, uh, that's not fair. Okay, so um, I've been listening on audiobook, and also I just got uh, a new kitten recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, little Jelly Bean. She's a sweetheart. But I've been listening, uh, and while I've been listening, I've been playing with the kitten. So she's been listening with me. I have my own thoughts on most of this book, but uh, everything I say this episode. Uh, is what Jellybean wanted me to relay and what <laughs> she thought of the book. Sure. So, and yeah. she's ruthless. So, <laughs> if anything seems too mean, blame Jellybean. Blame Jellybean. <laughs> uh, yeah, this chapter is a huge waste of time and sucks. It is, to be fair, <laughs> we've talked about time and time again one of a classic king trope of a character that has no purpose other than to hate. Cartoonishly hateful. And she's been built up the whole book, like, well, the first third of the book, Mm -hmm. we keep hearing about Sissy and how horrible she is. And it's built up, and then we finally get a chapter about Sissy where she can't comes to town, and then she fucking dies or something. She gets sexually assaulted by Bobby. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and she sure does. Then is arguably not important for the rest <laughs> of the story. She, she she comes in and within six pages she has bullied her way through a flight attendant, a rental car clerk, a police officer, and an entire hotel staff. <laughs> like she wastes no time in being just a ruthless bitch to everybody she, she comes. She across. is the ultimate Karen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> King gives some of these characters such weird traits. And <laughs> that are gives... mentioned and then never mentioned yeah. again. And I want to point out two of them. One, she snorts amphetamines to get to sleep. <laughs> which is insane. 
Also, she is a virgin who only achieves, and I quote, grim and cheerless orgasms. That actually really bothered me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Of everything, of like the teeth grinding thing and the way she treats other people, I was just like, you can't even enjoy an orgasm. <laughs> you are a monster. <laughs> it is weird the things I remember about this book from reading it in high school. There are like maybe four. I remember the Hilly Brown chapter. I remember whoever the fuck it was that got shot with the flare gun. I remember the very, very end. And I remember Sissy's giant vibrator. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Why is that a, a fact that has stuck with me for 15 years? I don't know, but I love it. Oh, God, it's amazing. Sissy's plan... I don't, I don't get it. And maybe I'm just not supposed to, but essentially their father dies and Bobby doesn't come home for the funeral. Worse than not coming home, Bobby is not answering Sissy's calls. And the one time somebody does answer, Guard hangs up on her and how dare anybody ever hang up on Sissy. So her plan is to extend the funeral two days. Bobby still doesn't show and that's when she decides, I'm bringing Bobby home. I She buys one flight to Maine and two tickets back. What is so important about bringing Bobby back home when there's nothing there for her? When there's nothing there for Bobby to come home to? Yeah. It's control. Because Did Sissy was initially, in book one, we found out that she was really uh, appalled and upset with Bobby's decision to quit school and... And take over this farmland that her uncle left her. Mm. And so I think she's just been looking. I don't know why she's looking for an excuse. Doesn't seem like the lady needs an excuse to do anything. <laughs> but this was her her excuse to finally take care of this problem that's been going on for what, like 13 years? Yeah, it's it's Dominion. She's a she's a cartoon <laughs> of an abusive piece of shit like yeah she's a wicked stepsister yes like it is you've been free for too long she, she's a witch as we find out later <laughs> yeah question mark question. <laughs> sissy makes her way into haven which she can because she has metal teeth and so that sure. that lets her but, safely um, hold on <laughs> i'm sorry Okay, I'm going to jump a little bit here. Sure. This ties into this. Oh, go for it. Okay, so she has metal teeth, so that works. Mm -hmm. Another lady has uh, leg braces, yep. so that works. Yep. Okay, so if leg braces, which are not in your body or just on your body, work, wouldn't a car also protect you? Holy shit. Uh, yeah? <laughs> oh, my God. N <laughs> a, that a just car, blew my mind. A literal tinfoil hat, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving on. The, the point is, she does show up and uh, Guard warns her not to go in, but Sissy's going to do what Sissy's going to do. And Bobby reveals herself, her naked self, for the first time. She is transparent, one-boobed, and has <laughs> a growth of more genticles that wrap around Anne. And that's the last we get of her for a while. So when I read it, it was creepy. Or mm. when I listened to it, it was creepy. But when I hear Josh <laughs> refer to her as one boobed, it just sucks out all the tension. The, the physiology of the, the Tommyknockers, <laughs> I do not find, they are not described as threatening at all. No. 
I that they have a big lumpy chest and they're see through, and they have snouts. Which we oh yeah, eventually they, they have like weird snouts and their eyes. I imagine to look like like octopus eyes. Yeah, and they have taloned feet and claws. N- no, only or, the dead ones in the ship yes, do. They don't yes, grow. That is true. Which is a whole nother problem that we'll get into. <laughs> I have a lot of problems with just what the fuck Tommy Knockers are. <laughs> I, I I have a rant for can, later. Perfect. Can I ask you guys a question yeah. about Gardner and Sissy? When she first arrives to the house, there is a comment that's made in the narrative that leads you to believe that this is the first time that she and Gardner have encountered one another face to face. Then later, they completely go back on that and talk about how he's had to stand down, stand her down before. Yup. Right? <laughs> Jeez. I- is the stand her down before referring to that time? No. Oh. Yeah, I... I missed that. I just didn't know if I listened to it, heard it wrong, or... At at this point in the book of listening to it, any time I encountered anything that was a plot hole, I just glazed over. (laughs) I was like, I don't fuck... There are too many. I don't fucking care. (laughs) Yeah, it's very possible that I missed that. It tracks. (laughs) (laughs) The next day, Bobby says that Sissy left. Guard immediately knows it's a lie. And we spend a whole chapter on Guard having a feeling he should walk to the gravel pit and just start digging. And when he starts digging, he uncovers Sissy's car. So we know immediately, which we knew all anyway, without this chapter, that Sissy didn't go anywhere. Sissy's in the shed. We know this 100%. I actually do like this scene, though. I thought it was kind of cool. Just because I could picture him very clearly messed up, drunk you know, terrible frame of mind, just digging into the gravel with his hands and finding what he knows is going to be there. I just thought that was cool. Does Gardner descend into madness? Are we supposed to think that he is the opposite? That in the end, he becomes, he he regains his sanity to become a hero. Because both and neither are true. (laughs) I find it more interesting to think that he has become so insane that his brain can't be in denial anymore. And so that's why he goes and he keeps describing it as being led to that gravel pit. It's because deep in his head, he knows that that's the place where they're they're ditching this stuff. Because as he's been becoming more, mm-hmm. he's being connected to this mental net that they are. So I feel like his brain has had enough and he's become so insane. He's come all the way back around to regaining sanity. And that would make sense if they, the rules about how much Gardner has or has not become at any given point are completely arbitrary. Like at one point he can hear people coming for him. Mm -hmm. And another point, like he Bobby can't hear anything from his head as he sits with a gun under the table. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Uh, At another point, he successfully operates the most (laughs) complex piece of Tommy Knocker's technology that there is with consequences. But like still. Yeah. No, it's it's very inconsistent, especially how 
when he accesses the terminal, which is a much smaller scale, how much it messes him up. Yeah. But we'll definitely get to that. Yes. But for now, let's get to the hatch. We've gone all this digging, all this excavating, and it's just Guard and Bobby. And they're down there drilling through some rocks. And Guard hits something that tears the drill bit off, nearly impaling himself with it. And it's the hatch. They've uncovered this final hatch. And Bobby says that the air inside will kill them if they open it now. Because it has been gross for a long time, <laughs> I guess. Right. And he says, all right, they, they agree. We're going to prepare and we're going to come back tomorrow. But I promise it's the two of us. The two of us found this. The two of us are going to go in. And he starts to feel, whenever she talks about that, he feels a little bit of the old Bobby. Do you, do you guys think there really is any old Bobby really in there, or is he just imagining it? I would say that he's imagining it, but her actions kind of point to something else, because she does not get rid of him when she clearly should. She is sentimental towards him still at the end. Yeah, I think she thinks of him as a pet, maybe. Yeah. Okay. But also, this is another flagrant contradiction because the Tommyknockers as a whole, the the hive mind of the quote-unquote shed people, the least intimidating <laughs> crazy, don't give a shit. They are so far past, and near the end of the book, they'd say, uh, the, the Tommyknockers at this stage... There are no leaders. They are one mind. They are all... And that's horseshit because they're <laughs> following Bobby around. Bobby yeah. is very clearly their leader. Yes. Or else Gardner would be dead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's been the fact that she is protecting him that has kept him alive this Yeah. Month. So maybe she does. Like, there is some Bobby left because yeah. otherwise they would have done what the book said and killed him. <laughs> I like the pet theory, though. That yeah. That's, that that's... It's something held over, but it's kind of miscommunicated as to what that is. So that night, Bobby's shed people show up and they all go out to stare at the ship, presumably, I guess, because uh, there's no other reason for them to leave. <laughs> and Guard plans to make his way into the shed as soon as they're gone. There are two important things here. One, we discover that this story happens. We've discussed all the tie-ins with other mm. Stephen King stuff. This definitively puts this story on a separate level of the tower because the Shining movie is referenced. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys about that. Which is weird. I, I would love to go back and cross-reference between all of the other books that are definitively canon with this book because there's a lot of them. Well, we talked about that Jake's not our Jake. Yes, but also oh, Jack, sorry, Jack's Jack. not our Jack. Uh, but also John Smith from the mm -hmm. Dead Zone mm -hmm. is canon. I think there's another one that I'm not thinking of now. There was the Pet Cemetery one. Pet Cemetery, mm -hmm. yeah. which is highly alluded to, and so it'd be interesting. I would not put it past one of those books to be to reference the haunting of the Overlook Hotel and completely undo this <laughs> everything. <laughs> That just puts them, yeah. It's we have that web of Stephen King connections, but uh, as we've discussed before, there are some 
things that make it just a different level of the tower. Do you think that King forgot that he wrote The Shining? <laughs> like it's become so ingrained in pop culture. Yeah. He's like, oh, that fun Shining movie. <laughs> that, that Shining movie that I hate. <laughs> yeah, that Shining movie that uh, I, Stephen King, notoriously love. <laughs> uh, after this, Guard realizes that because Bobby's the one who would have had it, and other people have been getting in that the key must be somewhere accessible. So he yep. deduces that it's hanging up on a nail around the corner. Super convenient. Great. But now. But also, it has to take fucking five <laughs> minutes to explain his yes. thought process instead of being like, oh, the key's here. <laughs> he uh, like like a, a cool guy puts on a pair of sunglasses before going into the shed. I just thought that was a very interesting touch. He unlocks the shed and he goes in and CM, what does he find inside that shed? He finds a nightmare that I was begging the book not to make me listen to. (laughs) (laughs) This part was effective for me. Um, Listening to it, I thought the narrator did a really good job. He goes in and there's, you know, all these machinery things around and tubes and stuff. And he finds what he... Expected to find, which is Peter, unfortunately. He also finds Ev Hillman and Sissy. And we. this is where we discover that they are human batteries for the Tommyknockers becoming. It's it's creepy, but I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty ballsy for King to plagiarize the Matrix so, <laughs> so obviously. <laughs> Yes, I do. I do remember the the showers in the Matrix. Yeah, well, they're, they're hooked up. They're human yeah. batteries. I was like, the Matrix did this. <laughs> this is so obviously the Matrix. Come on. I I wish the Matrix took the step the the one step further that this does, which is the way these cords are run into these people. In, in the Matrix, it's like tubes and vitals and stuff. This, there, uh, Sissy has a cable jammed into her forehead. Ev Hillman's right eye has gone and the tube is just shoved into his eye. And Peter, worst of all, has the top of his skull peeled back and his brain exposed. And it's just right into the top of his brain. And, and- Guard keeps seeing his legs moving like he's trying to get away or he's dreaming and i hate it yeah it's every time he's taking in what he sees in the shed it invariably always comes back to peter and like peter gives like a little whine at one point and he notices that the ev and sissy start to wake up and Anne uh, is projecting first time i've called her Anne. sissy <laughs> is projecting into his mind begging for his help because whatever they're doing she just says it hurts so much and it won't stop hurting Got the way the audiobook uh. the uh, the <laughs> uh reader reads her part is so bad oh and not and not bad like it's oh this sucks great, bad isn't like oh he, he just like this weird whining Ugh, it's, it's very grating it, it's yeah, hard to yeah. listen to he it's one of those where like damn it i wish he didn't do that but it's so effective it, it's really yeah. good it's oh, I, I really like the guy that reads i of course i don't have his name to uh to credit him but 
He reads a bunch of Stephen King mm-hmm. audiobooks. He's great. He sees uh, all these inventions that we've been talking about, and he sees one more empty stall. And at first he thinks, that's where I'm going to wind up. This is built here for me. This is my fate. And then he finds Bobby's clothes and the gun she was shot with. So that is where they had her hooked up. And she was essentially vampire sucking the life energy out of those two people because Sissy wasn't there yet. And the idea of her dog being able to see her do this to it, I just, uh It always comes back to Peter and it, mm-hmm. just, it made this whole section so heartbreaking. Just like the Matrix. <laughs> Fuck you, Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> he sees the the psychic terminal that they're all hooked up to. In fact, he starts when he's thinking things. There appear it's appearing on the screen, and he starts freaking out. And Ev breaks through and says he needs to help David. Guard is barely understanding what all this means because you know he's throwing the Altair Four. You're like, he, he's lost, he's somewhere, you need to bring him, basically bring him back and then kill us, because this is miserable. Mm-hmm. And Guard decides that if if this boy, if rescuing this boy doesn't matter, then nothing at all matters. And that is his choice to, to end this. I was going to ask you guys, does that fucking track for you? The, the whole final action of the book is driven by guard a trying to get to the ship and b like he keeps saying about how he has to save this boy that a he has never met does not know at all it does not track with gardner's character that we have gotten to know at all it seems completely like king was like oh i have this loose thread and i can't leave a little boy in space <laughs> I, I I have to make this guy heroic in some way, even though it makes absolutely no sense. I think you're both right and wrong. I think that it doesn't make sense with his personality where he's at right now because he's very messed up and selfish. And I feel like it would be hard for him to find the capacity to put David before literally everything else. But when I think about the first book... And how he's, you know, having that argument with Ted the Power Man. Some of the counter argument is that, well, it didn't really affect that many people. And we see that a lot in society when something affects, you know, a a huge amount of people versus just a very few. Even if those two things are, are so different, you know, the thing that affects only a few people is much worse. People react differently to that. They're, they're not really thinking about the level of, of horror and pain. It's how big is this in their mind? So I could, I thought about that too, and I kind of bought him putting David first because he he seems to reason that way and understand that even one person's suffering is not okay if it can be stopped. See, my take on it was he doesn't actually think he can stop this, but he can do one thing and i feel like guard is guard's selfish there's no Mm -hmm. two ways about it guard's a selfish person and i feel like somewhere in his logic it stands to reason if i've never done a single thing that did any good for anybody my entire life i can do this one thing and try to do this other big thing but i can definitely 
focus on doing this one thing right. It still doesn't quite jive with the guard we know, but looking at it through a lens of selfishness, it makes sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, Next, we, of course, we're in the final third of this book, so we meet a new character. (laughs) John Leandro, who is uh, a friend of David Bright's. He's another journalist. And Leandro has been piecing together all of the events, just like every other character who's who's pieced together all the events of everything going on. Uh, he's, you know, he's talked to family members saying they haven't been able to contact their loved ones from Haven. No one's gone to visit. All the stuff we've already known from the chapters prior. But what makes Leandro a little different is he is knows. a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> he knows and accepts all the consequences, but he's going anyway. He knows he could get sick and his teeth could fall out, but he's going to power through and he's going to make his story. What if his part had been book two, and that's how we found out everything that was really going on in the town, through him having these interviews with family members outside of town? Yeah, that's a much better book. <laughs> but pretty much any change that you can yeah. make to the way Act Two went, like, is a better way to disseminate the information. <laughs> The the moment of this chapter that I love is that he pushes on as far as he can before he just blood's pouring out of his nose and he decides he needs another game plan. He backs up and he heads to uh, a, a gas station where this guy sees him covered in blood and is just like, yep, yep. <laughs> you want to buy a T-shirt? I've been selling them like crazy. <laughs> I sold 15 the day of that lady's funeral because everyone leaving just had a pouring nosebleeds. And just, isn't that a big deal? <laughs> cool. Yeah, that cool as hell dude running that gas station. <laughs> just for the sake of counting all of the Stephen King tropes that are all over this fucking book, is uh, he, he's also Eddie Kasparak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he has an overbearing mother who mm. is worried about microbes. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, it's his character again. It's, it's what's his name for uh, Rose Red. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So now it's time to get into the ship. Bobby has made Haven air tanks so that way they can safely breathe Haven air, which would kill anybody else outside of town. She specifically says five minutes of Haven air would knock someone out and a half an hour would kill them. But they're adjusted, so it is safer than breathing the toxic air that has been sealed away for 25,000 centuries, which is... A complete guess. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything is a fucking guess. No, there's, there's no way. And it's just the two of them. So Bobby summons a psychic vacuum so that they can operate a lift down, which I thought was uh, unnecessary. It's so... <laughs> actually, okay, I kind of like this bit because the whole time they've been excavating, there has been this, this like, lift up and down that guard has been going up and down to, like, place the satchel charges and whatnot. The button to operate this lift is, what do they say, like, 20 feet away from the actual lift. So it becomes this thing of when they need to operate it themselves, they just can't. I think that's a really funny... One of my things I actually like about the book is this running idea that the Tommyknockers are able to build these insane gadgets that do otherworldly, improbably powerful things, but they're 
dipshits. <laughs> so they'll just build them and then be like, uh, okay, what yeah. do we do with it now? They're basically us. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're they're just like the fact that they'll build something and then not have common sense enough <laughs> to place it close enough to the thing to operate it is is uh, actually interesting, right? And we get to touch base on that fact second to last chapter, mm-hmm. so we'll get to that. Uh, they make their way into the ship, and once they're inside, neither guard or Bobby can read each other. No matter, like, Bobby tries and she can't mm-hmm. muster anything. They can't feel anything outside the ship. They make their way through because the ship's on its side, so they're seeing these ladders that they're crawling horizontal through, and Guard notices the ladder's rungs are four feet apart with a dip in the middle, and he's just imagining the physiology of the creature that uses this ladder. They make their way to a control room where two to three of them had been hooked into the psychic drive at the time of the crash. And they have now fallen into a crumpled pile in the corner. And they're so tangled, Guard has no idea how many of them are in there because they're decomposed and just in clumps. He finds when he investigates the body, they are these ugly, long-snouted creatures with scaly yet transparent skin and no teeth. The evidence of the crash, because we've had... Nobody's even hypothesized how or why this ship got here. There's evidence... Of them killing each other on the ship, which led to the the crash. Okay. I think this is as good a point as any for me to talk about how the Tommyknockers are stupid nonsense. (laughs) They they are, we're we're told they're not like a, a race of creatures, that they are just like one iteration of them traveling to a planet. We get the idea that this ship goes to a planet crashes whatever things are on that planet they go through the becoming they transform but they're slightly different our tommy knockers on earth they don't have these hooked claws so the the physiology of these things are always different that's stupid <laughs> why, why does the latter have hooks what if they change every time what why does the latter have hooks, guys? No reason. It's stupid. Sometimes they, they say that the Tommyknockers are not always successful. Yeah. So, so why is the ship still there? Well, I, sure. I, there's something more there. We'll get to that <laughs> later, I guess. No, yeah, I do, we'll definitely circle back to that. Uh, it, there's so much stuff. Yeah, there, there's almost a question on whether or not the ship itself is semi-sentient. It's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. They found the, that psychic control room, and they come to what they first think is a barracks, but it's an engine room. It is steel hammocks of bodies chained into them with cords running out of them. The confusion of that imagery when they find it, I thought was very mm-hmm. effective. That was cool. They, they begin to hear sounds of the ship powering up, because now there's living things inside it. They realize they don't have much air left so it's it's time to go and they make their way out of the control room and they make their way out of the ship let's head back to leandro because he's had time to prepare now uh something that i I do like is the the specific phrasing is they describe leandro tripping over this story 
and being unable to let it go, mm-hmm. which I thought was a very clear connection to Bobby's obsession uh, from the very beginning. Oh, I didn't even catch that, but that is good. Yeah, I thought that was a really a, a nice, That's clever... Actually, a piece of paralleling that they try in this third chapter that works. Yeah. Because <laughs> they try a lot, and not all of it works. <laughs> uh, we go back to the same medical supply store Ev bought things from, and the clerk is really upset that he didn't get his last air tank back. But he sells him this one, and Leandra calls David Bright, who we talked very little about in the last chapter, or in the last episode, and says he knows what he's doing is dangerous and dumb, but not to call in any backup. I will phone in every two hours until I'm home safe, and then we can go from there, but this is my story, this is my big moment. You're gonna have to let me do this and he sure does try yeah he does he heads back <laughs> he puts on the gas mask he does everything as right as you could with the information he has until he gets so close to the electromagnetic field of the ship that his car just flat out dies doesn't sputter stop it just dies and he decides okay i've come this far it's not worth dying i'm gonna walk back do you think if he had been wearing a chainmail shirt, he would have been safe? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. But that chainmail shirt would not have protected him from being killed by a flying Coke machine, which is my favorite villain. My se- <laughs> okay, my second favorite villain. My first favorite villain is later on in this chapter. This scene makes me just, I'm dying to watch the series. <laughs> Okay, I'm dying to watch the series for a lot of reasons. Because there's a bunch of scenes where I'm like, how the fuck are they going to film this? The thing that I like most about this death, so the the flying coke machine just slams into his body, breaking his skull and spine, and then drags him for a while before he falls off. And I just felt, we didn't get a lot of time with this character, but I liked him. Mm -hmm. I liked his gumption. I liked that he was going for it. This death is so impersonal. It's him and an inanimate object. Yeah. And it feels like so... It's grim. Yeah, it's so grim and sad. And I just thought that was... the thing. Something that I love in King books, I love a high body count. <laughs> because King kills people in really interesting ways, I think. And so that's something this book really does well for me, is the high body count in interesting ways. Now we're back to Garden Bobby. They head back to the house uh, after Guard throws up a lot of blood uh, once they get back to the surface. Guard realizes that this is the last promise old Bobby has. That's the last thing to protect him. And that's fulfilled now. And so she could kill him at any time. So now is the time he's going to go in and change his shirt and grab the gun that he stole from the shed, which shot Bobby the first time. He walks out. And Bobby is waiting for him with a toy gun in hand that's hooked up to the Phantom Zone radio that Hank used in the last <laughs> chapter. And there are two beers on the table and a bottle of Valium. I love this scene. Yes. Um, the text of it, not as much. It's like Gardner digging up the car. Yeah. Where the text of it and why they're doing it and what they're saying it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But just the visual and the mm-hmm. feeling of these two characters sitting across the table from each other and either can shoot at any second is very tense. Yes. It's tragic too, because they, their connection, I mean, before all this Tommy knocker stuff, 
she's the reason he chose to live, even mm. if he thought he was only choosing for a little bit longer. You know, she kind of saved his life in a way, and he kind of saved hers. And it's just to watch them have this showdown is really sad. I, with something that I felt was cool, I don't know, maybe it's just me. It felt like these two characters meeting for the first time. Hmm. This is all new Bobby now. There's yeah. nothing left. And the way she talks to him is so different than she's ever talked to him. And I just found that really interesting to see. I'm talking to a familiar face, but I don't know this person. Yeah. And so he, there are times where he's not sure even how to react to her. Right. And the deal Bobby makes is that he's going to die now. It's all over for him. So he can either take all of this Valium and die peacefully which is the most peaceful death she can give him or she can send him to the fandom zone and he can spend eternity out there worse this is one of the cool sci-fi ideas she's explaining how teleportation works Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of all of the this is like an exposition dump Without actually giving any information, because (laughs) it's also some of the laziest sci-fi I've ever read. I didn't expect Stephen King to write a hard sci-fi novel, but, like, this is the softest of soft (laughs) sci-fi. But she's talking about how teleportation works, and she's like, "Why, why why do we have a ship if we can teleport people? Which I haven't thought of the whole book. Yeah. (laughs) Um... And the reason is because teleportation, they they can teleport to certain wavelengths. They've discovered certain areas they can teleport people to, but most of them are nothing. A lot of them <laughs> yeah. are mm-hmm. in the middle of deep space. One is Altair 4, just a big empty planet. One was solid rock, I think yeah, they said. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, it's dangerous because like, if we just fuck around with it, we could accidentally teleport to the center of a sun and just flash fry an entire planet mm-hmm. on accident. But the cool part is she says, but just like a radio, there are not only the stations, there's the space between stations. Mm-hmm. What does that remind our Dark Tower listener uh, readers of? She threatens to send them to it, the Todash Dark. Yes. Oh, oh, shit! The Todash Darkness, for people who haven't read The Dark Tower, is the scariest fucking thing in the entire world. Yes. Wow. Uh, In The Dark Tower, obviously, there's infinity of infinity of realities. But there's more than that, because there's also nothing. Mm -hmm. There's the space between realities that is void, full of unspeakable monsters. And she says, there's the space between stations. I could send you there, guard. Oh, that is, yeah, yeah, that's way darker. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Made the whole rest of the what are Tommyknockers nonsense kind of worth it. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. Because you guys, what do you think of what Tommyknockers are? Or what she says they are? I'm intrigued. (laughs) I I like her description. I do, too, because you, we don't get sort of the what you might expect of a space traveling society. They are idiots and bullies. And, you know, you the sci-fi lover in me wanted them to be more, wanted them to be cool and know what they were doing 
And so I liked that King didn't give me that. And I don't know, the the idea of this ship kind of being the, the primary alien, perhaps, and the thought that they change with each planet where they're mm-hmm. discovered is intriguing. It, that's the thing, yeah. I thought it was just such lazy writing. It's yeah. like, because he's like, we're builders. We build stuff. And we're like, yeah, we know that. But what else? And you're like, nah, that's it, man. I, so the the phrase that to me makes the most sense is she says they're Thomas Edison, not Albert Einstein. They are, they are inventors. They are creators. But they invent, create, and then squabble with no care and no remorse. They just have this inclination to and they sometimes they build like the lady who collapsed all of her molecules she just wanted to build this thing it's just still so cool (laughs) it takes the the plan for okay i'm gonna make this thing what can i use it for they even talk about people around town who built things and then just put them in drawers because they were like Ah, it's made now. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. They're they're kind of chaos. Like you want them oh, to have yeah. a purpose. You mm-hmm. want this to all have been for something and it's not. It's it's nothing. My problem is the practicality of that doesn't work as a society. <laughs> this <laughs> but these aliens have been implied to be around for millennia. Well, Cuz they're parasites, I guess. I Right? Yeah. If they're if aren't... they're yeah, oh, because yeah. they're taking, and that's how a parasite thrives. It doesn't build a society; it takes over a host. Yeah, and we don't know how many oh. of these ships are around the galaxy. Yeah, I assume that they've just like crash landed in different areas, that's and if they're inhabited, then they get a new species to yep. take over. Well, shit. Yeah. Okay. So then the ship is the Tommy Knocker. Yeah. Yeah. And it. Ah. That's sorry. I thought that's what you guys were talking about the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let me... Ben, the ship is Rose Red. And it it needs builders. (laughs) Okay, and that... that, I I hadn't thought of it in exactly those words. That does make a lot more Mm -hmm. sense. Because I was just, like, so frustrated that they were just like, we're we're aliens. We built stuff. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, but what's your deal? And they're like, no, I refuse to tell you any more world building than this. We we can show up if we destroy this planet and destroy ourselves. Oh, well, there's another dozen ships and, out there, maybe. As I alluded to, this is another thing that, that was frustrating to me. Is they're like, as everything starts going wrong, one of the other Tommy Knockers, I forget his name because I don't care about any of their <laughs> names. They're all interchangeable. Uh, says, like, the becoming has failed before. Uh, but always due to, like, natural... Environmental th- yeah. things. Like a tornado could have come through and changed all the wind and they all died. Yeah. Well, if that's so, how did they... They couldn't have gotten to Earth. If the becoming failed on another planet, the ship would have stayed there. Right? I assume that there... Like we said, there are multiple ships. I guess. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe, maybe the... The becoming is the ship creating its crew out of raw materials on whatever planet it lands on. And so if it doesn't get those materials, I assume it would have to have some way to power itself out into another planet. But maybe that's part of it. And maybe sometimes it doesn't always crash land so horrifically. Maybe there are times that it is 
more or less been an invasion kind of scenario. And maybe I'm thinking way too hard (laughs) about this pretty dumb novel. Uh, Can we bring it back to uh, crying some more? Because as they're also having this conversation about the people being used, Bobby is non-emotionally whatsoever, just flats out says she's shocked that Peter has lasted as long as he is. For a, uh, that he's lasted this long for a dog, but he's probably lasted this long because of how much uh, how much he loves her. No. And I was like, oh my god, now I'm just sobbing. Yeah. Just had to twist that knife one last time, didn't you? Cold, ya? cold shit. Guard has been taking Valium in exchange for answers and realizes he has to act. It's now or never. He draws the gun and Bobby has a moment of seeing a flash in his mind that he has a gun. He pulls it up, fires, and it clicks. (laughs) It misfires. And then we leave. We have to wait on the resolution for that for the next chapter. And that drove me insane. It would have been a pretty bold choice had they just killed Guard right there. (laughs) but I was 100% positive. I might have liked this book better if it ended with the, a successful invasion. Oh yeah. Like if it had, and they kill guard and the plan just continues, Mm -hmm. that would have been at least like, Oh, Oh fuck. That was a dare. Like that's a different, that's definitely a, a subversion of what I expected. Yeah. And then, so this book fucks with time a lot, too, because it doesn't tell you exactly when things are happening or what order things are happening. So the next part we jump to is the same day, but hours later, because we're going to hear about events that haven't happened in the main timeline yet. So David hasn't heard from Leandro and decides to call the Dallas police. And he calls an old friend uh, and uh, Torgerson who he fills in. He's like, I know this is going to sound insane. Here's everything that's going on. And we find out that there's currently a forest fire raging in Haven and nobody in any of the neighboring towns or in Haven themselves is answering. So they're sending people. There are every time they try to send somebody to put out the fire, the drivers have an aneurysm, the vehicle stop. Uh, the wind picks up and kills several people in a town because the haven air blows over their town mm-hmm. for too long. Yeah, just this one sense, just they died in their houses. Yeah. It's like, fuck. That part is nuts. That yeah. is, it's brutal. And uh, <laughs> the guy's pacemaker explodes. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. if it was metal, it would have been fine. Should have protected him. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think. Uh, but word has spread through all these channels, and now the shop is involved. Which I was very excited to get a drop-in from the shop. That, not. That's the, Except for it doesn't do anything. <laughs> that's the other book that is canon in yeah. this yeah. universe. Yeah. Because they make a point of saying, at their at their uh, their workshop, where that years ago was burned down by a little girl. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I hope you read their other book. Moving on. Yeah. We get another brand new character, uh, Lester Moran. CM? Can you guys talk me into not being upset about this? <laughs> because... No. So we we cut away from Garden Bobby, but then we find out through this guy we don't know and don't give a shit about that Guard was successful because he sees the ship. Well, we don't know that Guard... We know that the ship is moving. 
we don't assume that Gar. I assume is- he was successful because the ship. I mean, they're taking over. The ship wouldn't fly away if they're taking over. Oh, see, I, w- I was under the impression that they were. It was going to like get up and ride itself and then be taken out by a nuke. Oh no! See, I took it as uh, just spoiling the ending of the book for me through this pyro <laughs> uh, guy. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't catch on to that. Even though I knew the ending, I did. I didn't think okay. that way. But yeah, the, this character just being there. It just killed Stop the it. it killed the suspense for me. It it definitely kills the pacing. It's <laughs> yes. like, oh, more characters. But I bet it'll be dead in five pages. But it does bring us my favorite villain of this book, Murder Wagon. Yeah. Is a child's <laughs> little red wagon with, I assume, uh like a bushwhacker attached to it that carves into his brain. And it's fantastic. He had to have tried so hard to come up with the dumbest things (laughs) that could be his monsters. It's like that, uh, I don't remember what show it's from, but it's, it might've been like a family guy where it's like, cuts away to Stephen King. What's the story about it? It's about a spooky lamp. And he grabs and he's like, yeah, Yeah, this book, this whole book, it just plays into all of his worst fucking traps. (laughs) Uh, we jump back to uh, Torgerson, who has uh, another name. character, Weems, uh, who have now gone to the same medical supply store and bought the rest of the breathing equipment. And they make their way, uh, they find Leandro's body, and they avenge him by murdering the Coca-Cola machine. Uh, so pour one out for the Coca-Cola <laughs> machine. <laughs> they make the same decision. They get to that same point. They can't go any further or die, and they just turn and leave. Because there's nothing you can do. You can't fight an enemy you can't get to. And he, they say, top secret reports would refer to this as the zone of pollution. Between 7 p.m. and 1 a.m., FBI, CIA, and more had enclosed Haven. We know. So now we know this final confrontation, there is no backup. There is no help. Everything that is going to happen is going to be within the bubble that we started with. Oh, God. I, that's another thing I didn't think of, because I was just about to say that entire last chapter could have been cut. <laughs> Did not accomplish anything. But that's a good point that it does uh, rule out outside intervention. Yeah. And it, it adds to the body count. And I loved the bo- <laughs> I love my body counts. It would cut back to immediately after guards misfire. And he both of his arms are under the table. <laughs> And so he just leans into it and shoves Bobby as she's about to take a shot. He rams the table into her ribs and then flips the table onto her, which causes the boombox to burst into flames, catching Bobby on fire. <laughs> which, yeah. rough way to go. Death by boombox. Yeah. Uh, then Guard does the dumbest thing. He tries to shoot her <laughs> and it clicks again. So he drops the gun and then it fires a bullet through his ankle. Ugh. And then he's like, oh, it does work. Grabs it. <laughs> and he goes to shoot her and it misfires again. And then finally blissfully puts a bullet through her neck. I, I did like that he had. So so he had two thoughts while doing this. And the one was thinking about shooting his wife. And so there was that guilt of that. Like, okay, now I have to shoot Bobby, whom I love. And then the other one was like, please, God, let me do this one last thing for her, yeah. which is shoot her. I really liked that. that. See, that was the other instance of paralleling that I did not think you didn't? worked. No, because it's Only like. Only if he shot her through the face. Well, no, it's just that like him shooting his wife 
is never a problem in this book. <laughs> it is. But it is, though. It's a problem for his drinking. I guess, but it is given so little, like, sure, it's like, oh, he has guilt about it, but it is not a theme of I, the book. His, like, it's it's a small, interesting tidbit about it, the life of Eric, uh, or Eric, uh, of Jim. John, Jim Gardner. I don't care. <laughs> uh, and... I don't know. It just, it seems not to play in at all. And then they're like, they want to bring it around to this like big, like mirroring of him shooting his wife, but this time it's merciful. And it's like, this does not cancel out shooting your wife in the face. No, it's, and it, it doesn't, but it illustrates his disease. How fucked up are you with your alcohol or your drugs or whatever substance you're abusing that you shoot your wife? And then now here we are. We've come full circle. He has to make this choice again. He's been living the last, what, 45, 60 days, whatever, just completely trying to drink himself to death, basically, because he knows what he's doing is horrible on some level, but he keeps doing it. He's compelled to do it. And and so now he's taking the same action against somebody he loves, but for a completely different reason. But we still have all of that stuff there. We still have the alcohol, which is part of what allowed him to keep being part of this thing and not do something about it sooner, not stop it sooner, which would have saved more than just one little boy. Sure. But I see it as, okay, it's all the same circumstances and the same action, but this time it's good. Okay. And like it, I felt like it (laughs) belittled the fact that the man shot his wife. See, I don't think in it belittled the face. it though. I, I feel okay. I'm right in between okay. the two of you, <laughs> as usual, as usual, because I saw it as the weight of having shot his wife is one of the things that has affected his self image and his self worth to the point that because every time he thinks about other people's perception of him. He always thinks about the uh, everybody knowing that he shot his wife. And he's crippled into inaction. It it makes him feel so worthless and so less than that it made controlling him essentially so easy. And it's the it's taken his backbone. It's taken his ability to to stand up for to anybody because how can you high road somebody when they can come back with, hey, how was shooting your wife in the face? And I felt like that is the, it was an underlying thing that just weighed him down self-esteem wise. And then this is him mustering his courage to stand up and put his friend out of her misery. Uh, so yeah, it's, it, I, I fall kind of somewhere in between the two of you. Hmm. I, I didn't, take him shooting Bobby as any great arc for him. I just thought it was a uh, crossing a T and dotting of an I. <laughs> Maybe that's my problem with it. Is it's They try to mirror it and go, uh, uh, see, he did the <laughs> same thing. But there's not enough. I think that is way more thought than sure. was put into it. it. It was maybe too much subtext when it should have just been. Some text. Give us some text. <laughs> Uh, what I do like is that he hears her screaming and dying inside his head, and mm-hmm. everyone in town hears it. And her death rattle 
kills several townspeople. <laughs> they just collapse dead. It That's explodes cool. their brains. And the, the whole town is like, oh, time to head to the farm. We gotta kill that alcoholic. And the whole town piles into their vehicles and heads to the farm. Meanwhile, Guard makes himself a giant glass of salt water and chugs it so he can vomit up at least some of the Valium that he's taken. Oh, uh, so now he has he's going to make his way to the shed and he's going to save David. And he realizes, if I get sleepy, I'll just step on the ankle that I shot. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like brings him wide awake. And he makes it out, makes it out to the shed very haphazardly. And Ev is in a state where he can call out to guard and give him some instructions, give him some help. And Ev and Sissy both guide him to a fire parasol. (laughs) That is the most badass thing. He runs out and he sticks it in the ground and it powers up and he uses it to melt Freeman Moss and explode both Bobby and Freeman's trucks. Uh, (laughs) Freeman Moss such a waste. Yeah. Such a waste. Because as he's coming up, he's even still thinking like, this is too bad. I mm-hmm. liked Jim. Yeah. But we got, n- that yeah. was literally a couple of paragraphs of like them bonding. That should have been one of the like main drives of the book is him maybe becoming more friends with Freeman Moss, even though he's changing and becoming more estranged from Bobby as she changes. And the like, are the Tommy knockers good or bad? Way more interesting. Yeah. But instead we get a guy that's like, I kind of liked him. I'm on fire. (laughs) And that's it. But this is what starts the, the inevitable forest fire that we end Mm. up hearing about. The parasol takes out several more members of this group before they're done. And there's two great moments where the uh, Dick and Newt are the ones who are leading the charge and they are two of the shed people. And they debate on whether they should stop and put the fire out. But they're like, no, we need to destroy this guy first. And then they can feel him connecting to the psychic computer. And they're like, oh, he's after David. Oh, good thing we left his ass out there. That'll buy us some time. (laughs) I just love the callousness of that. Uh, Guard plugs into this machine and it almost destroys him. And he realizes the full weight of what he's doing as he's trying to gain control. He can feel that he's drawing on the life force of the human batteries. And he can feel the power that they've been feeling and how it's, it's almost intoxicating. And he has to fight back control and he uses the computer to send David somewhere. He like says to teleport him, uh, to bring him back from Altair 4. And then I love that the computer responds, where do you want to put him? <laughs> I would have chose Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> I love that ending so much more than the ending we got. Oh my God. There's so many places that would have made the ending hilarious. (laughs) Holy fuck. Uh, Now that this is done, Ev is fading and tells Guard thank you and to finally let them die and guides him to a toy space blaster, which will be the final weapon (laughs) Guard is able to use to defeat virtually everyone else. Guard 
crawls out and fires the blaster into the shed, burning it down, finally releasing Ev and Peter. Uh, Sissy died in the activation of the fire parasol. She got so angry that her heart <laughs> blew up. That was amazing. That's, there's no other way for Sissy to go. That's yeah. true. That's it. He climbs into the Tomcat and makes his way out just before the firewood enclose him in. And it gives him the distance to start getting away. Did either of you have the thought, why did he write a low-rent speed bike chase (laughs) before he's like, wow, this is a lot like that scene in Star Wars. (laughs) Except slower and on fire. (laughs) Uh, Which we should mention, Guard gets legit caught on fire as he's trying to drive away. And they are sending everything they can after him. The Tommyknockers are now burning to death left and right, and they decide, okay, we're going to send gadgets after him. Guard gets these smoke detectors that are piloted by someone else, and old Bobby warns him in his head, and he feels a hand help him aim. And he blasts the smoke detectors out of the sky, and the feedback blows up Hazel's brain. I need you guys' opinion on this. What did you think of it? Please... I, I I did not like this. Infuriating. Yeah, I did I not. I did not enjoy this. Just losing his mind, and you know, I kind of dismissed it. I, that's the better way to read it, I think, because yeah, he literally. I feel Bobby's hand. It's like no, no, crazy space ghosts. Fine, nonsense. Coke machines. <laughs> <with your people? laughs> fine, a flying lawn, a uh, flying vacuum with a lawnmower on it. Great. Sure. A ghost, just a plain old ghost, just Bobby's <laughs> ghost. No, no I, I refuse. Oh, man, you I, forget. Guard has the shining. I, <laughs> you just got so mad right there. Don't talk to me for the rest of the episode. <laughs> I just so, assume that he's, <laughs> I just assume that he, his, that's like his resolve and he's attributing it to the person he just shot that he probably didn't want to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, it's just confusingly unnecessary. I yes. Think. Uh, either way, uh, Dick is so furious that he brutally murders Newt under the fire parasol. And now Dick is the only shed person left, making him their de facto leader, of which they don't have leaders. <laughs> uh, guard fights the murder vacuum and then makes his way down the slope. He loses his grip and starts to slide. The friction of the steel cable tears open his hands. He shatters his kneecap against the ship when he lands and his left hand his left leg is mangled to the point he thinks it's shorter than the right leg i I believe you mean it's crangled crangled Crangled. yes (laughs) that's the i work in a hospital that's the medical term for it it's crangled uh guard climbs into the ship feeling almost instantly sure they're not going to come in after him then uh dick and the the last of the tommy knockers nearby stand on the edge of that chasm, staring at the ship, waiting for him to lead. But suddenly, a large hand reaches in and squeezes Dick's brain so hard his eyes explode and he dies. (laughs) And what that is, is Guard putting on the psychic headphones that pilot the ship, and we discover that uh, the Tommyknockers are... uh, He describes the Tommyknockers at that point as cavemen, which I thought was also kind of apt, that... The ship is exposing people to use them as batteries. So Guard has tapped into the network of all of the people and it is 
blowing up all their brains to power the ship, Mm -hmm. sacrificing nearly everybody in town. The ship begins pulling itself from the Earth, and Guard rights the ship and heads off into space. What a lucky guy. (laughs) To be able, I mean, you know, not, but to be able to go out into space... Ah, best uh, ending ever. He, for he does say at some point as he's like getting mad fucked up on his race to this uh this spaceship as he thinks, well, this is at least a more interesting suicide <laughs> than jumping <laughs> off a breakwater. Yeah. Like yeah. well he the ship f- becomes fully transparent so he can see in every direction and he's lying on the transparent floor of this ship in space and guard dies with a smile on. The fact that his last thought, fine, he's in distress and whatever, but he just says warp speed instead of <laughs> fly into the sun or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. So, oh, yeah, shit. he's just doomed another planet mm-hmm. to get crashed into. And maybe that's the influence of the ship, because he was becoming. And there's actually um, a book we'll get to eventually. Uh, I won't say which one. But I would like to, uh, when we get there, talk about whether it is a sequel to the Tommyknockers. Oh, shit. Uh, if you've read the book, you might know what I'm talking about. I haven't, so I don't. Okay, cool. Um, CM's looking at me like she might know. I might know. So now we come to our epilogue. We find out that by nightfall, less than 200 people were alive in Haven. Leandro's story and UFO photos came out and the townspeople started committing suicide at night. By the time the army breached the town, only 80 remained. 26 lived long enough to be taken to the shop, post-Charlie, as we discussed, where they die one by one, being experimented on and tested on. But in all of this, we find out where David ended up, because a nurse walks into Hilly's bedroom and freaks out because she sees a second shadow. And it is David cuddled up in bed with his brother. Makes Hilly is now awake. Makes more sense than where I would have sent him. <laughs> Probably more responsible. I, it, I, but I love this. And it ends yeah. on him saying, when I get up, we have to trade G.I. Joes. I don't remember why, <laughs> but we have to trade G.I. Joes. And David's like, as long as I get crystal ball. And that's a, such I, a cute ending. I did not like it. <laughs> Surprise! It should have ended with Gardner dying in space. And yeah, we don't need we, the epilogue. We knew, we, you know where he sent fucking the kid. The kid is not the emotional backbone of this story. It was Peter. He is <laughs> more than yeah, this kid. <laughs> like he was a second thought. He was a tertiary maybe plot point ending on the these brothers is nothing for the story i liked it because i was like so in the zone when i was reading that it didn't occur to me where he sent david oh like i completely missed it and so it wasn't until they talked the second they mentioned hill a nurse Mm. the the nurse comment i was like oh oh my god that's where he is that's such a great idea i yeah i completely missed it so it was a great reveal for me yeah (laughs) <laughs> all right i'm gonna kick things off i know i know exactly where this book falls for me i mentioned earlier it's got a high body count and i fucking love a high body count uh i love the reveals of the tommy knockers being not what i thought they were the, they're just chaotic mad scientists 
Uh, I felt like all that came... So much information we got at the end, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it earlier. So I kind of knew some of this or if the payoff was better at the end. I'm just... I'm not really sure where I land on it. It could have used a lot of editing. (laughs) And for that reason, I am going to land on giving the Tommyknockers three out of five blue chambray shirts. I, I went back and forth on this so hard. Because here's the thing. The book is awful. It's it's a bad book that makes no sense and is dumb and sometimes boring and sometimes makes you go, just what? So what I'm basing this on is who should read this book? Who would I recommend the Tommyknockers for? People that listen to this podcast, the end. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you are already a Stephen King stan. Obviously, you have to read the Tommyknockers just for completion or for the experience, because it is an experience. But I cannot recommend it to anyone else. Even a like borderline like common Stephen, not that's not the word I'm looking for. Casual. Casual Stephen King fan. This is just gonna draw like drive them off because it's not good. And of course, if you don't like Stephen King, it's just gonna reinforce all of the <laughs> nonsense that you think about Stephen King. That said, I loved reading it. <laughs> it's it's fun. <laughs> it's stupid fun. Yeah. It is it. Near the end, I was like, okay, this could have ended 100 pages ago. (laughs) But while you're reading it, at the very least, it's like watching a fun, bad movie. So I'm with... I wanted to rate it lower, but I'm with uh, Josh. Three out of of five blue chambray shirts. CM. I talked about this in the first episode that I initially hated this book. And then, you know, COVID happened and I had to reread it and I had personal stuff going on. That kind of made me be able to relate to it in a a different way. So I think totally biased. Like it's always going to have that element for me, which definitely changes the way I feel about it. I And just not even thinking about that, I also had a lot of fun reading it. And that is a very excellent description. It is like watching a bad horror movie. I love bad horror movies just as much as I love really excellent, well-thought-out horror movies. You get something out of both. And I definitely got something out of this book. So I am going to give it five out of five blue chambray shirts. And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we will be covering the miniseries, The Tommyknockers. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, one of life's great truths is this. When one is about to be struck by a speeding 600-pound Coke machine, One need worry about nothing else. Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. We hope you enjoyed the Tommyknockers Part 3. Let us know how many blue chambray shirts you would give this book on our social media at Dairy Public Radio. Or email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Also check out our website, constantreaders.org, for everything Stephen King and Stephen King adjacent. And you can find cool merch and other perks on our Patreon page. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.